Welcome to Boardroom's Best, the premier podcast for CEOs, board directors, investors, and those who want to lead and serve in the boardrooms of public, private, family-owned, and high-flying entrepreneurial companies. Now with your host, Nancy May, CEO of BoardBench, let's charge ahead with great leaders worldwide as we learn how to foster the best in ourselves and our firms with greater courage, confidence, and character. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The Boardroom's Best. This is your host, Nancy May, and I am here with my friend, Nick Williams, who is with us all the way from the UK. Nick, welcome. I only wish that I could be there right next to you doing this. Thank you. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? But uh, we're, we're in a different age now. We're all self-isolating. We're learning to connect to a world in a very different way. And quite frankly, I find it refreshing. Yeah. I, I, personally, I think there's a kind of shift towards a more kind of humanness, which, as you say, I'm finding refreshing, you know, that we're, we're, we're recognizing we're all in this together. And let's be honest about that. Absolutely. Honesty is, they say, is the best policy. But when we talk about the human connection, that's something that we typically don't hear a lot of conversation about in the boardroom, although it is something that I think more and more companies are going to be forced to have that conversation about in the board suites, as well as with CEOs, even of hard good products like a semiconductor, right? Yeah, well, interestingly, you know, I, I think we're hungry for a number of things. I think we're hungry for humanness. And part of that is kind of honesty and transparency and, you know, appropriate vulnerability, which is often a word we don't associate with leadership. But part of, you know, my experience is when when people are appropriately honest and, and even temporarily vulnerable, People trust them more. I, I was just uh, just give you a quick story. I was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine who was living in France, and her husband has had some real heavy duty cancer treatment, so they needed to self isolate for a while. But she was telling me she's English, but she lives in France. They both live in France, and she was telling me that on television, you know, uh, Mr. Macron, the the French president, was just being very honest and saying, "Look, you know, nobody's been prepared for this. We're making some of this up as we go along because we just don't have a plan." But we'll be very honest with you and we'll tell you what we're getting right and we'll tell you what we're getting wrong and we won't hide anything from you. And I just personally found that very refreshing because certainly in our government, part of us is thinking, how much do we trust what we're being told? Um, So personally, I, I think there's a hunger for that authenticity and that honesty, which means, you know, letting down some of our guards sometimes. But certainly, you know, the leaders that I work with who are often the most trusted and the most effective do have a willingness to show appropriate vulnerability. Vulnerability is is a word that you tend to avoid in the boardroom at all costs. Sure. And certainly even with CEOs, because the fear of vulnerability means lack of market cap or a loss of market cap. It could be a loss of a standing in a competitive environment. Mm. It could be the loss of the entire company. Yet we're starting to see that the vulnerability and the ability to admit and then figure out how do we use that as a strength and an asset yeah, as yeah. opposed to a weakness 
is really coming forward. And it'll be interesting to see which organizations and which leaders survive and are able to say, this is our softer side that is really giving us the backbone to move forward, even when we're not exactly sure where the left and the right foot is going. Sure. Um, So how do we talk about some of those things and how do we deal with that with a certain level of confidence? Um. It's a great question. Uh, again, can I tell you a story of a, a friend of mine who's a, a leader who, to me, embodies this wonderfully Please. And, and share a couple of lessons that I've learned from her? You know, mo- most people, I think, around the world will have heard of Downton Abbey, uh, you know, the TV series and, and last year the film. And I was very blessed and honoured about 12 years ago, I coached a woman who was a TV producer. And to cut a long story short, she has been the producer of Downton Abbey. There's three of them who produce it. So we reconnected a few years ago and I went on on the set a few times and saw it being filmed. And Liz and I, her name is Liz Truebridge, uh, she and I ended up having uh, a lot of conversations. We ended up having a lot of lunches together. And, you know, she was an incredible woman. I just kept saying, you know, you're amazing. I just think your leadership style is, is incredible. But basically, she was talking about things because obviously she's involved in a, a more creative world than many people. She says, you know, she actually said this. She said, look, I recognize that people in front of the camera, whether they're the actors or people behind the camera, they all come to work wanting to give their best. And they're all afraid that for whatever reasons, they will not be able to give their best. So she said, my job as the producer is to create a workplace where people feel safe enough to give their best. And she said, that's my biggest job as a producer is to help people draw the best out of themselves so they can perform at their best. Um, But she said, I know that in order to do that, they often have to go through temporary vulnerability and their fears and be honest about them in order to get there. And I just thought, well, that's amazing. I've never heard a leader talk about that so openly. And um, I think to some extent, you know, the results speak for themselves. Downton Abbey has been one of the most successful costume dramas ever, if not the. And I think the film has grossed a couple of hundred million dollars. And she told me, you know, that people just keep coming back year after year because they want to be part of it because she creates a kind of family. But one of the things she also said to me was that if somebody comes to her and says, I know how to do something, and she has a hunch that they actually don't know how to do something, (laughs) she actually sits them down and says, can we have an honest conversation? If you don't know how to do this, please, let's have a conversation because between us, we'll figure out how to do it and to make it work. So she actually encourages people to tell her, I don't know how to do this, because her belief is by them being vulnerable, they then open up the possibility of new conversations out of which solutions emerge. But but part of it, and I think this is probably one of the most important things that we we could really talk about today as well, is that requires a level of trust. Mm. And I think the trust is created when leaders go first. You know, that's very interesting because the the analogy in the art form, where they always say that art imitates life, right, mm. is that the leader here or the producer was able to lead an audience or her staff, her actors, in a way that gave them a chance to explore and find the best in themselves. Yeah, exactly. Which is terrific. And that's an analogy of a CEO, a really good CEO, who's Mm. willing to say, it's okay if you're not perfect, let's figure this out together. Yeah, brilliant. The other thing from a board perspective, that's not so fast to lop the head off of a CEO, 
and say, just because you don't know what to do next doesn't mean that we should get rid of you. But to be able to have the ability to be strong enough to accept and understand and work with the CEO. So the old adage of nose and fingers out may actually change in the boardroom where boards may have to say, do we have the right people here to actually support the leadership in the company Mm. so that they can do what's right for those that are investors? Mm. It's a big question, I think, going forward. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, I I don't know if you follow him. I've read some of his work, but I'm I'm just halfway through reading uh, Simon Sinek's latest book called The Infinite Game. Have you read that yet? I have not read that one yet. I've read a number of his others. And and it's fascinating because he's talking about the companies that are most successful and what kind of leadership do they have. And, you know, he said a lot of it, whatever the business that you're in, a lot of it comes down to building trust. And the building trust comes from authenticity. And I I was just reading yesterday an example he gave of an oil rig where, you know, they ended up having the most productive, successful oil rig in the world, I think, with least accidents and most productivity. But it was because they all sat down and really got to trust each other so that when they thought somebody was a bit off or they were getting something wrong, they had the honesty and openness to be able to say, I don't think this is right. Can we have a conversation about this? But, you know, that's, I think, the way that we're headed. If we want to have successful organizations, you know, that there's got to be that trust there. And, and also the idea of kind of having a bigger purpose than just obviously the bottom line. You know, when, when people feel there is some kind of common endeavor that they're all working towards and the leader embodies that and encourages it and marshals everybody's kind of best work to achieve that result, I think, I think that's when, you know, the language I use is that's when people willingly give their best. Because obviously one of the questions that most of us kind of ask ourselves is, well, how do I get the best out of my people? And I think it's a great question, but I think an even better question is, like, how do I create an environment where they naturally want to give their best towards something that we're all headed towards? Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. You know, there was a, one of my first jobs out of college was in a, a business that was in the semiconductor industry. And I remember one day overhearing this CEO and, and his leadership team. Now, this was a company that was backed by VCs. And said the best way to get the support or what we need out of the people down there, you know, meaning me and the others, was to pat them on the back and kick them in the ass. <laughs> and that conversation obviously still stays in my mind umpteen years later. And we still see that today, but that's obviously not the best way to get what we need from the company and actually even the customers, because you want to support the customers in this, with the same empathy and inspiration and guidance that you give your staff and your employees. Mm. So there's leaders, not just at the top, but maybe leaders from the bottom sure. that can inspire and bring great strength to the company. And then the leaders in the customer component, how do you do that? And the vendors mm. that everybody needs to understand. So this is a bigger picture than just the board conversation, although yeah. the boards are the ones that have to say, move or get off the pot politely. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think we know what you mean. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm trying to keep this, a, I'll call it a family board show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I, I don't know if you've been following Simon, who's the guy you know who we both know who connected us up, which is why we're having this conversation. But I don't know if you've been following how he is handling the current kind of crisis, but have you been following it at all? Bits and pieces. We had a conversation just the other week, and this is a business that's been totally tanked. His customers are in the airline industry. Yeah, 
is the joint CEO of Inc. Travel Media, which has been the world's leader in, in providing travel media with things like in-flight magazines and in-flight entertainment. And the business has tanked. And, I, you know, I've coached him and, you know, we're kind of mates as well. I've just been watching him, sadly, you know, as you know, I've, I've actually been ill myself. I had the virus, so I, I was out of action myself for a couple of weeks, but now I'm re-engaging more. You know, and I'm finding him so inspiring because, you know, I think one of the messages I want to get through in, in this kind of conversation is we do have a choice about the attitude that we bring to our response to the, the initiation we're all going through. And I think Simon's response that has inspired me is like, his, his, the way he's kind of framing it is, how can I help my team and my community get through this? He's not saying, how can I get through this? He's not even saying, how can Inc. get through this? But he's saying, how can I, my company, my employees, my suppliers, my clients, how can we get through this together? And he is doing things like, you know, he's, he's bringing in inspirational, motivational speakers and interviewing them. But then broadcasting that both to his companies and his suppliers, his clients, you know, he's, he's saying, look, you know, we're all on pause a bit at the moment. Here's something to help you get inspired and to keep you on track so that as things get better, you'll be in a better place. And I even had a, a text on Sunday morning from his MD um, and head of people, um, who I've met a couple of times, basically just saying, how are you doing? I just thought, isn't it lovely that they've kind of created a community and said, look, we're all in this together. We all care about you and we hopefully you care about us. Is there anything we can do to help you get through it? And everyone's also then saying to him, what can we help you to do? What can we, how can we help you to get through it? And there's something about that I just find inspiring, that it's, um, it's such a generous approach to what could be a disastrous and, and is to some extent a disastrous situation. He is making more friends out of this than he even had before. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. He's getting he's getting a uh, the loyalty connection without yeah. necessarily even trying. He's showing his head and his heart together. Yeah. And by helping his customers, his employees, his investors together be stronger, he will be doing well in the end, not just ultimately financially. I'm hearing this also in his head and his heart, which makes him a stronger and better and more capable leader in the long run, something that we can learn yeah. from the not-for-profit world, who many of them are struggling, and even the not-for-profits are having this problem because they're mission-driven, but a mission and how you execute on that mission with both the head, the heart, yeah. and the hands is not just a wallet-driven desire. Mm -hmm. Some not-for-profits do that. Mm -hmm. So how much cash you got? Let us do it that way. We understand that the two have to work together. It's when mm. when things are out of whack that we need to uh, reconsider things, I guess, right? Sure. And I think also what's helped Simon, and I'm slightly blowing my own trumpet here, but I'll do that. You know, I've known him for a couple of years now, probably, and we had a session together about 18 months ago. And, um, you know, I think what has always made him kind of attractive to people is he, also, he is quite open and he is quite uh, honest. But he's never really kind of told his story of where he's come from. You know, it's unusual for somebody, obviously, to still to be a CEO 26 years later after founding the company. Uh, so I said to him... And you don't know where they came from, right? Exactly, you know. And I think there's a temptation often to think, well, you know, people know all this already. Either people know it or they're not interested. So I did say to him, you know, I think it would be great for you to tell your story. So I didn't hear from him for a year. And then I heard from him again. He said, I've taken your advice and I've written a book. It's called There Is No F in Sales. You may have seen it. Yes. 
And part of it is, you know, his own struggles, his own ups and downs and his own triumphs over the last 25 years since he set up Inc., you know, a one magazine in-flight company to a $100 million business. But again, that book's been out now about six months. But he was telling me that a lot of people have bought that book who used to work at Inc. but have moved on and have got back in touch with him and said, oh, thank you so much for writing the book and being so honest. You know, because partly what you're saying is business is damn tough at times. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you if you're finding things tough. Things are often tough. It's not personal. It's just how things are. And often that it's the going through the toughness and opening you up. You know, I like the idea that challenges can either toughen us up or open us up. And I think, you know, the answer is a bit of both. But I think Simon's opened up. And as a result of it, people want to help him because they're going, you know, we just find you so inspiring. You're so honest. How can we help you like you want to help us? And to me, that I, that just rings about how I would love to see more businesses in the future. We've seen over the years, and I think especially in this economic boom, such self-serving individuals over the course of time. Not that they've all been that way, but that has been sort of the mantra of, of economics, right? Mm. And unfortunately, Well, maybe not, unfortunately. It served people well in that era. We have not gently gone into where we are today. We have exploded into where we've been sort of dropped into the middle of the dark cavern. Mm. And to see how individuals are behaving and reacting and, and finding an inner strength is really amazing, including correcting stupid mistakes in a very public way. Mm. So I'll use I'll use an example here in the States. There's a company called Shake Shack, which is a, a casual dining or fast dining kind of restaurant. It's not a McDonald's, but you get burgers and shakes and, and whatnot. I have never been to one. I had never intended to go to one. I'm on a diet for the rest of my life. <laughs> I think it's, it's it happens after a certain age when you just can't eat everything. So Shakes and burgers and fries are are not in my personal daily diet, which Mm. I would love to have. But they got a government grant or loan. And then they also got an infusion of cash from an outside investor at the same time. And what struck me is that the leadership decided that they would give back the government money because they had gotten an infusion of cash elsewhere. Wow, how wonderful. To me, that is leadership. I will go. And try a Shake Shack. I may not make it my daily diet, mm. but as a result of that behavior, I said, now I'm curious to see what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And I'd like to know a little bit more about that, where you see banks that are behaving in a totally different manner here in the States. I'm presuming they've got similar challenges overseas as well. Yeah, sure, sure. But they are, you know, they're struggling, they're panicking, they're they're driven by the, the nickel, the dime, the dollar, whatever it is, not that they shouldn't be because they're a business, but there's other factors that they've never really had to deal with. Mm. And now they're becoming the evil empire. Yeah. So, yeah, as you're talking, you know, two things come to mind. Number one is what you were describing there to me is the word I would use is integrity. Right. You know, I think pe- people are drawn to integrity. A la Harvard that didn't have it and then all of a sudden kind of be forced into finding it. integrity with yeah. <laughs> that story. <laughs> if, if all else fails, having, you know, use integrity as a last resort. <laughs> right. If I had children, I would never send them to Harvard. Yeah. That's it. I don't care whether I wanted to go after that story. Yeah. Um, but also, as you were saying, uh, you know, as you were talking, uh, one of the other thoughts that came to mind is that I think what what we're all having to face in a way is like a loss of control, you know, and 
And I think that's one of the questions that I kind of find fascinating, both personally and professionally, is what control is one way of operating. But when, when what we've been able to control, we can no longer control. I think often we go into a lot of fear. We go into overwhelm. We go into anxiety. So I think a lot of the conversations I'm having with people is they are very anxious. You know, what they've been able to control, they can't control. They're feeling a bit powerless. And I think that's where some of the... I'm going to interrupt you a second there. What are some of the things that we can do to try and manage that loss of control or fear? Or do we not? Do we just let it go and freak out for a second and hope that we can get it back and get back on track? Well, to me, I've always enjoyed a difference between what I would call being in control and being in charge. Okay. Uh, to me, being in charge is kind of knowing where you're going and navigating, getting there. But it's also accepting that there are things you cannot control, but things you can influence. Mm -hmm. And I I also wonder whether there's a a kind of, you know, a bit of a reality check going on, that there are lots of things actually that we were never in control of that we might have liked we were in control of. So I wonder if there's a bit of a kind of reality check going on. So, So for me, in answer to your question, the bigger question in a way is like, well, how do we deal with our fear? How do we deal with our anxiety? How do we deal with that feeling of, like we said earlier, a bit a bit of vulnerability? Because I think that's what a lot of people are beginning to experience. And then the question is, you know, how do you navigate when you're feeling afraid? How do you navigate when you're feeling vulnerable? So that to me is the kind of bigger question. And I, I, for me, there's a combination of, of looking outside for, if you like, best practice and other people's advice and other people's suggestions. But also for me, one of the, the answers for me, from me to your question is, I think there's some kind of, you know, I don't know what language you would be comfortable with, but some kind of inner guidance system that we have. I think a part of us knows, you know, what has integrity and what doesn't have integrity. Part of us knows what our values are and how we can navigate by our values. In the broader term, I, I call that kind of navigating by a sense of inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like Simon to some extent. I imagine that he's going to come out of this in an even better place than when he went into it. I would agree. So to me, there's something, you know, there's, there's a difference between, I would call it the difference between motivation and inspiration. I think often motivation is fueled by a sense of fear. You know, if we don't do this, we're in trouble. Explain that a little bit, will you? Yeah, well, just, this is just my personal perspective. I don't want to put this on anybody, you know, and say you have to believe this because this is just my my own way of looking. And is there good fear and bad fear? The other thing uh, too, Yeah, right? I think there's kind of realistic fear. You know, if you put your hand in a fire or walk across a busy road, yes, you should feel some fear. Mm-hmm. But most of us are not experiencing physical danger. We're, we're experiencing more emotional, psychological danger. Right. You know, we're not going to die as a result of this, or some people may, but I remember years ago, read. I think it was 12 years ago when the you know the crash was in 2008. I read about a, I think it was German, a German billionaire whose fortune had gone from six billion euros to three billion euros, and he felt so ashamed that he's committed suicide. Oh, how awful! And I just thought, wow, you know, if, if somebody had said to him, "We're going to give you three billion euros," how would you feel? He'd go, "That would be fantastic," but because he only had three versus six. He felt such shame around it that he felt he couldn't live. It's ridiculous when you think about it, right? Yeah. But I think that's often, you know, what we're experiencing. So in answer to your question about fear, you know, I think fear is obviously, to some extent, just not being in control. We control to avoid feeling afraid. But I think what really kind of inspiring leaders do is they do have their fears. It's not like they don't have their fear, but they navigate their fears 
alongside their inspiration. You know, as an example for me, you know, as, as you know, I've written 18 books so far, and I'm, by the time lockdown's finished, I'll have probably written at least one more. But I know that every time I'm inspired to write a book, and I, you know, I have either sometimes a few hours or a few days or even a few weeks of going, right, this is the next book. I'm really inspired to write it. I know what I want to write. I know that within days or weeks or even just hours or minutes sometimes, the word I use is I'm going to experience some resistance to the inspired idea that I just had. You know, there's a voice in my head going, that's a really brilliant idea, Nick, but, you know, you're going to look a bit stupid if nobody's interested in it. Won't you look a bit stupid in like, you know, the last book I wrote was about just sharing my, my journey with my mum as a venture. Right. You know, my resistance said to me, don't share so personally, don't share your inner world so much. And yet, the response I've had from that book has probably been the, the most heartfelt of almost any book that I've written because I was so honest in it. So what I talk about a lot is as leaders, we need to kind of both be aware of and navigate our sense of inspiration, our sense of, of what's truly right for us and our sense of resistance, which is what we're afraid of and, and the, if you like, the scary stories we tell ourselves. And I think often what we try to use is we try to use motivation to push ourselves to do something that in our heart we often know we don't really want to be doing. So what I mean by motivation is I think there's healthy motivation. You know, I need motivation to do my tax returns because I don't, I'm not never inspired to do them. You know? <laughs> For sure. I need motivation to do exercise because I'm usually not inspired to do exercise. But for me, often we use will as motivation when really we're trying to make ourselves, we're going against our own nature. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Whereas when we're acting more from a sense of what I would call inspiration, we're acting from our true nature, if you like. I'm going to ask you a bit of a wrap-up question because we have a little bit more time. When you're dealing with these kinds of situations, and I think boardrooms and CEOs, because that's our, our particular audience, mm. and in even the employees, but it's based at the top, the motivation, the inspiration, and the heart and the will, when that moral compass gets offline, mm. one, how do you recognize it? How do you recognize it in your peers, which may not be so obvious? Mm. And when do you say enough is enough for them and for you? Great questions. Uh, to me, the answer is always some, some kind of reflection or um, uh, self-questioning. So I think, I, I think we can coach ourselves by just asking us, ourselves good questions. How inspired am I by what I'm doing? You know, that, that's a very revealing question that I often ask leaders is how much do you love what you do? How much are you truly inspired by what you do? That one question is very revealing. And then questions about how much are you trying to force yourself to do things that you'd actually rather not be doing? How much do you feel like you're going against your own element, you know, your own grain, if you like? So I think it always starts with us as the leader. And then we can start perhaps having those more honest conversations with some of the people around us. Because I think it's so easy for us just to get into habitual ways of, of acting and leading and behaving that we can do that for ourselves. But obviously, as a coach and as a mentor and a guide myself, you know, they're my bread and butter of conversation, if you like. They're, they're the kind of conversations that people sure. want to have, but they often don't give themselves the time and the space to do it. So I think, you know, having the conversation with yourself or having the conversation with somebody you trust, a trusted guide of some kind, and then having those conversations with other people so that, you know, I'm often, in, I'm often just so amazed by the conversation, what emerges out of a conversation about what would inspire you, how inspired are you? 
even just two or three simple questions like that can be life-changing for some people because they suddenly realize how off track they are and how how they could get back on track and then they, how they can help others get back on track. And sometimes to remove yourself from the situation is the only way to do it. Yeah. And in other cases, it's important to remove an individual from a group to do so. So yeah. back in our office, especially in board environments, and there are some great people and Sometimes, unfortunately, a toxic individual gets into the boardroom or into his C-suite. And our visual picture is, you know, if you sit down at the end of the day and you have the most enticing, beautiful, full-body glass of wine, and it's just fabulous. Mm. Now, if you take a teaspoon of sewage and you put that into that beautiful glass of wine, (laughs) what do you have, right? (laughs) A crap glass of wine, (laughs) Exactly. And vice versa. You have this beautiful glass filled with sewage and you put one or two beautiful teaspoons of delicious full-bodied wine into that glass of sewage. You still have sewage. Mm. So when do you, that beautiful full-bodied glass of wine or the teaspoon of wine, decide to not be part of the sewage or make sure that you don't put sewage into your wine? Yeah, it becomes part and parcel of this heart, part and parcel of the heart and the soul that we're talking about here. Um, Not just the linear; it's yeah. it's a full composite of everything. Yeah, and you know, the, my my suggestion for this kind of topic that we were going to talk about was kind of brave leadership, and and to me, you know, that having those conversations is an act of bravery because I, I think to so many of us, there's often a disparity between what we're feeling inside and what we're manifesting outside ourselves, and to me. It's continually brave to narrow that gap between, if you like, our own in, internal integrity and the way that we're seeing with other people. So, you know, sometimes you're right. It's about having that brave conversation that says this isn't working. This isn't working. We need to do something here. Um, and that's tough. And bravery versus courageousness, which I sent you the article yeah. on that, that I wrote recently. I'll have to post it in yeah, the group, Yeah, I love too. it. You know, I loved it. It's an interesting position between brave and and being courageous. They are different. Yeah. They are different. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Um, but I, I like the idea that you can measure the amount of, you know, I, I'm using the word bravery. You can measure the amount of bravery you, you're kind of manifesting in your life by the number of times you're willing to make yourself consciously vulnerable for a short period of time. It's scary. Yeah. But it's not a one-off thing, you know, but, but my experience is, and, and perhaps this can be the wrap-up, obviously, is that those of us that are willing to keep leaning into our fears and having the brave conversations with ourselves and having the brave conversations with people around us, we end up feeling a lot more alive. We end up feeling a lot more inspired and with integrity. And we end up being more of an inspiration to other people. You know, we have greater self-respect because of our own self-bravery, if you like, and our own self-leadership. And and we become more of an inspiration to the people around us because of our honesty and our bravery. So, you know, that might be a good kind of wrap-up idea. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. This has been more than an inspirational conversation. I think there's a, it's a conversation of hope, oh, bless you. opportunity, and optimism. And that there is there is something we can all learn from this, that it is not doom and gloom. Yes, there will be sadness. There will be tears. There will be lots of fear as a result of this afterwards. There's a lot of healing that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But together, we really can do this in a way that changes our world, hopefully for the better. And just looking at what's happened with our environment, it's, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That's one good thing that's come out of it. And I think there are many, many good things that have come out of it, yeah. both from a leadership perspective, 
and ultimately from a corporate perspective, which is what we're talking about here. And, and without people mm. with good heads, hearts and souls, yeah. what do we have, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's an invitation into a transformation, which is precisely what you're saying. So, Absolutely. So thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. I'm really grateful for your invitation. I hope people listening have, have gleaned something from it that's uh, emboldening for them and to them and inspiring. I believe it will be. Thank you, Nick. It has been a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you very much. You have a good day so and stay well. And you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Boardrooms Best is brought to you in part with the support of Resources Global Professionals, the company that delivers intellectual capital on demand to the world's most recognized companies and corporate leaders. RGP, Resources Global, the experts you want to call when you need experience to solve your business problems. www.rgp.com.